Section 2 of Mark the Matchboy, or Richard Hunter's Ward. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tori Falder. Mark the Matchboy, or Richard Hunter's Ward, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 3. Fosdick's Fortune. Mr. Bates took from his pocket a memorandum book and jotted down a few figures in it. As nearly as I can remember, he said, it is four years since I ceased paying interest on the money which your father entrusted to me. The rate I agreed to pay was six per cent. How much will that amount to? Principal and interest, $2,480, said Dick promptly. Fosdick's breath was almost taken away as he heard this sum mentioned. Could it be possible that Mr. Bates intended to pay him as much as this? Why, it would be a fortune. Your figures would be quite correct, Mr. Hunter, said Mr. Bates, but for one consideration, you forgot that your friend is entitled to compound interest, as no interest has been paid for four years. Now, as you are no doubt used to figures, I will leave you to make the necessary correction. Mr. Bates tore a leaf from his memorandum book as he spoke, and handed it with a pencil to Richard Hunter. Dick made a rapid calculation and reported $2,524. It seems, then, Mr. Fosdick, said Mr. Bates, that I am your debtor to a very considerable amount. You are very kind, sir, said Fosdick, but I shall be quite satisfied with the $2,000 without any interest. Thank you for offering to relinquish the interest, but it is only right that I should pay it. I have had the use of the money, and I certainly would not wish to defraud you of a penny of the sum which it took your father ten years of industry to accumulate. I wish he were living now to see justice done his son. So do I, said Fosdick earnestly. I beg your pardon, sir, he said after a moment's pause. Why? asked Mr. Bates in a tone of surprise. Because, said Fosdick, I have done you injustice. I thought you failed in order to make money and intended to cheat my father out of his savings. That made me feel hard towards you. You were justified in feeling so, said Mr. Bates. Such cases are so common that I am not surprised at your opinion of me. I ought to have explained my position to your father and promised to make restitution whenever it should be in my power. But at the time I was discouraged and could not foresee the favorable turn which my affairs have since taken. Now, he added with a change of voice, we will arrange about the payment of this money. Do not pay it until it is convenient, Mr. Bates, said Fosdick. Your proposal is kind, but scarcely businesslike, Mr. Fosdick, said Mr. Bates. Fortunately, it will occasion me no inconvenience to pay you at once. I have not the ready money with me, as you may suppose, but I will give you a check for the amount upon the Broadway bank, with which I have an account, and it will be duly honored on presentation tomorrow. You may in return make out a receipt in full for the debt and interest. Wait a moment. I will ring for writing materials. These were soon brought by a servant of the hotel, and Mr. Bates filled in a check for the sum specified above, while Fosdick, scarcely knowing whether he was awake or dreaming, made out a receipt to which he attached his name. Now, said Mr. Bates, we will exchange documents. Fosdick took the check and deposited it carefully in his pocketbook. It is possible that payment might be refused to a boy like you, especially as the amount is so large. At what time will you be disengaged tomorrow? I am absent from the store from 12 to 1 for dinner. Very well. Come to the hotel as soon as you are free, and I will accompany you to the bank and get the money for you. I advise you, however, to leave it there on deposit until you have a chance to invest it. How would you advise me to invest it, sir? asked Fosdick. 
Perhaps you cannot do better than buy shares of some good bank. You will then have no care except to collect your dividends twice a year. That is what I should like to do, said Fosdick. What bank would you advise? The Broadway Park or Bank of Commerce are all good banks. I will attend to the matter for you, if you desire it. I should be very glad if you would, sir. Then the matter is settled, said Mr. Bates. I wish I could as easily settle another matter which has brought me to New York at this time, and which, I confess, occasions me considerable perplexity. The boys remained respectfully silent, though not without curiosity, as to what this matter might be. Mr. Bates seemed plunged in thought for a short time. Then, speaking as if to himself, he said in a low voice, Why should I not tell them? Perhaps they may help me. I believe, he said, I will take you into my confidence. You may be able to render me some assistance in my perplexing business. I shall be very glad to help you if I can, said Dick. And I also, said Fosdick. I have come to New York in search of my grandson, said Mr. Bates. Did he run away from home, asked Dick. No, he has never lived with me. Indeed, I may add that I have never seen him since he was an infant. The boys looked surprised. How old is he now? asked Fosdick. He must be about ten years old, but I see that I must give you the whole story of what is a painful passage in my life, or you will be in no position to help me. You must know, then, that twelve years since I considered myself rich and lived in a handsome house uptown. My wife was dead, but I had an only daughter, who I believe was generally considered attractive, if not beautiful. I had set my heart upon her making an advantageous marriage, that is, marrying a man of wealth and social position. I had in my employ a clerk of excellent business abilities and of good personal appearance, whom I sometimes invited to my house when I entertained company. His name was John Talbot. I never suspected that there was any danger of my daughter's falling in love with the young man, until one day he came to me and overwhelmed me with surprise by asking her hand in marriage. You can imagine that I was very angry. Whether justly or not, I will not pretend to say. I dismissed the young man from my employ and informed him that never, under any circumstances, would I consent to his marrying Irene. He was a high-spirited young man, and though he did not answer me, I saw by the expression of his face that he meant to persevere in his suit. A week later, my daughter was missing. She left behind a letter stating that she could not give up John Talbot, and by the time I read the letter, she would be his wife. Two days later, a Philadelphia paper was sent to me, containing a printed notice of their marriage, and the same mail brought me a joint letter from both, asking my forgiveness. I had no objections to John Talbot except his poverty, but my ambitious hopes were disappointed, and I felt the blow severely. I returned the letter to the address given, accompanied by a brief line to Irene, to the effect that I disowned her and would never more acknowledge her as my daughter. I saw her only once after that, Two years after she appeared suddenly in my library, having been admitted by the servant with a child in her arms. But I hardened my heart against her, and though she besought my forgiveness, I refused it and requested her to leave the house. I cannot forgive myself when I think of my unfeeling severity, but it is too late to redeem the past. As far as I can, I would like to atone for it. A month since I heard that both Irene and her husband were dead, the latter five years since, but that the child, a boy, is still living, probably in deep poverty. He is my only descendant, and I seek to find him, hoping that he may be a joy and solace to me in the old age which will soon be upon me. It is for the purpose of tracing him that I have come to New York. When you, turning to Fosdick, referred to your being compelled to resort to the streets and the hard life of a boot black, the thought came to me that my grandson may be reduced to a similar extremity. It would be hard indeed that he should grow up ignorant, neglected, and subject to every privation, 
when a comfortable and even luxurious home awaits him, if he can only be found. What is his name? inquired Dick. My impression is that he was named after his father, John Talbot. Indeed, I am quite sure that my daughter wrote me to this effect in a letter which I returned after reading. Have you reason to think he is in New York? My information is that his mother died here a year since. It is not likely that he has been able to leave the city. He is about ten years old. I used to know most of the boot blacks and newsboys when I was in the business, said Dick reflectively, but I cannot recall that name. Were you ever in the business, Mr. Hunter? asked Mr. Bates in surprise. Yes, said Richard Hunter, smiling. I used to be one of the most ragged boot blacks in the city. Don't you remember my Washington coat and Napoleon pants, Fosdick? I remember them well. Surely that was many years ago. It is not yet two years since I gave up blacking boots. You surprise me, Mr. Hunter, said Mr. Bates. I congratulate you on your advance in life. Such a rise shows remarkable energy on your part. I was lucky, said Dick modestly. I found some good friends who helped me along. But about your grandson, I have quite a number of friends among the street boys, and I can inquire of them whether any boy named John Talbot has joined their ranks since my time. I shall be greatly obliged to you if you will, said Mr. Bates, but it is quite possible that circumstances may have led to a change of name, so that it will not do to trust too much to this. Even if no boy bearing the name is found, I shall feel that there is this possibility in my favor. That is true, said Dick. It is very common for boys to change their name. Some can't remember whether they ever had any names, and pick out one to suit themselves, or perhaps get one from those they go with. There was one boy I knew named Horace Greeley. Then there were Fat Jack, Pickle Nose, Cranky Jim, Tickle Me Foot, and plenty of others. You knew some of them, didn't you, Fosdick? I knew Fat Jack and Tickle Me Foot, answered Fosdick. This, of course, increases the difficulty of finding and identifying the boy, said Mr. Bates. Here, he said, taking a card photograph from his pocket, is a picture of my daughter at the time of her marriage. I have had these taken from a portrait in my possession. Can you spare me one, asked Dick. It may help me to find the boy. I will give one to each of you. I need not say that I shall feel most grateful for any service you may be able to render me, and will gladly reimburse any expenses you may incur, besides paying you liberally for your time. It will be better, perhaps, for me to leave fifty dollars with each of you to defray any expenses you may be at. Thank you, said Dick, but I am well supplied with money, and will advance whatever is needful, and if I succeed, I will hand in my bill. Fosdick expressed himself in a similar way, and after some further conversation, he and Dick rose to go. I congratulate you on your wealth, Fosdick, said Dick, when they were outside. You're richer than I am now. I never should have got this money but for you, Dick. I wish you'd take some of it. Well, I will. You may pay my fare home on the horse cars. But really, I wish you would. But this Dick positively refused to do, as might have been expected. He was himself the owner of two uptown lots, which he eventually sold for $5,000, although they only cost him one, and had $300 besides in the bank. He agreed, however, to let Fosdick henceforth bear his share of the expenses of board, and this added $2 a week to the sum he was able to lay up. Chapter 4. A Difficult Commission It need hardly be said that Fosdick was punctual to his appointment at the Astor House on the following day. He found Mr. Bates in the reading room looking over a Milwaukee paper. "'Good morning, Mr. Fosdick,' he said, extending his hand. "'I suppose your time is limited. "'Therefore, it will be best for us to go at once to the bank.' "'You are very kind, sir, to take so much trouble on my account,' said Fosdick. "'We ought all to help each other,' said Mr. Bates. "'I believe in that doctrine, though I have not always lived up to it. "'On second thoughts,' he added as they got out in front of the hotel. "'If you approve of my suggestions about the purchase of bank shares, "'it may not be necessary to go to the bank, "'as you can take this check in payment.' 
Just as you think best, sir, I can depend upon your judgment, as you know much more of such things than I. Then we will go at once to the office of Mr. Ferguson, a Wall Street broker, and an old friend of mine. There we will give an order for some bank shares. Together the two walked down Broadway until they reached Trinity Church, which fronts the entrance to Wall Street. Here then they crossed the street and soon reached the office of Mr. Ferguson. Mr. Ferguson, a pleasant-looking man with sandy hair and whiskers, came forward and shook Mr. Bates cordially by the hand. "'Glad to see you, Mr. Bates,' he said. "'Where have you been for the last four years?' "'In Milwaukee. I see you are at the old place. "'Yes, plodding along as usual. How do you like the West?' I have found it a good place for business, though I am not sure whether I like it as well to live in as New York. Shan't you come back to New York sometime? Mr. Bates shook his head. My business ties me to Milwaukee, he said. I doubt if I ever return. Who is this young man, said the broker, looking at Fosdick. He is not a son of yours, I think. No, I am not fortunate enough to have a son. He is a young friend who wants a little business done in your line, and I have accordingly brought him to you. We will do our best for him. What is it? He wants to purchase 20 shares in some good city bank. I used to know all about such matters when I lived in the city, but I am out of the way of such knowledge now. 20 shares, you said? Yes. It happens quite oddly that a party brought in only 15 minutes since 20 shares in the bank to dispose of. It is a good bank, and I don't know that he can do any better than take them. Yes, it is a good bank. What interest does it pay now? 8%. That is good. What is the market value of the stock? It is selling this morning at 120. 20 shares, then, will amount to $2,400. Precisely. Well, perhaps we'd better take them. What do you say, Mr. Fosdick? If you advise it, sir, I shall be very glad to do so. Then the business can be accomplished at once, as the party left us his signature authorizing the transfer. The transfer was rapidly effected. The broker's commission of 25 cents per share amounted to $5. It was found on paying this, added to the purchase money, that $119 remained, the check being for $2,524. The broker took the check and returned this sum, which Mr. Bates handed to Fosdick. You may need this for a reserve fund, he said, to draw upon if needful until your dividend comes due. The bank shares will pay you probably $160 per year. $160, repeated Fosdick in surprise. That is a little more than $3 a week. Yes, it will be very acceptable as my salary at the store is not enough to pay my expenses. I would advise you not to break in upon your capital if you can avoid it, said Mr. Bates. By and by, if your salary increases, you may be able to add the interest yearly to the principal so that it may be accumulating till you are a man when you may find it of use in setting you up in business. Yes, sir, I will remember that, but I can hardly realize that I am really the owner of 20 bank shares. No doubt it seems sudden to you. Don't let it make you extravagant. Most boys of your age would need a guardian, but you have had so much experience in taking care of yourself that I think you can get along without one. I have my friend Dick to advise me, said Fosdick. Mr. Hunter seems quite a remarkable young man, said Mr. Bates. I can hardly believe that his past history has been as he gave it. It is strictly true, sir. Three years ago, he could not read or write. If he continues to display the same energy, I can predict for him a prominent position in the future. I am glad to hear you say so, sir. Dick is a very dear friend of mine. Now, Mr. Fosdick, it is time you were thinking of dinner. I believe this is your dinner hour. Yes, sir. And it is nearly over. You must be my guest today. I know of a quiet little lunchroom nearby, which I used to frequent some years ago when I was in business on this street. We will drop in there, and I think you will be able to get through in time. Fosdick could not well decline the invitation, but accompanied Mr. Bates to the place referred to, where he had a better meal than he was accustomed to. 
It was finished in time, for as the clock on the city hall struck one, he reached the door of Henderson's store. Fosdick could not very well banish from his mind the thoughts of his extraordinary change of fortune, and I am obliged to confess that he did not discharge his duties quite as faithfully as usual that afternoon. I will mention one rather amusing instance of his preoccupation of mind. A lady entered the store, leading by the hand her son Edwin, a little boy of seven. "'Have you any hats that will fit my little boy?' she said. "'Yes, ma'am,' said Fosdick absently, and brought forward a large-sized man's hat of the kind popularly known as stovepipe. "'How will this do?' asked Fosdick. "'I don't want to wear such an ugly hat as that,' said Edwin in dismay. The lady looked at Fosdick as if she had very strong doubts of his sanity. He saw his mistake, and coloring deeply, said in a hurried tone, "'Excuse me, I was thinking of something else.' The next selection proved more satisfactory, and Edwin went out of the store feeling quite proud of his new hat. Towards the close of the afternoon, Fosdick was surprised at the entrance of Mr. Bates. He came up to the counter where he was standing and said, I am glad I have found you in. I was not quite sure if this was the place where you were employed. I am glad to see you, sir, said Fosdick. I have just received a telegram from Milwaukee, said Mr. Bates, summoning me home immediately on matters connected with business. I shall not therefore be able to remain here to follow up the search upon which I had entered. As you and your friend have kindly offered your assistance, I am going to leave the matter in your hands, and will authorize you to incur any expenses you may deem advisable, and I will gladly reimburse you whether you succeed or not. Fosdick assured him that they would spare no efforts, and Mr. Bates, after briefly thanking him and giving him his address, hurried away, as he had determined to start on his return home that very night. End of section 2 Mark the Matchboy or Richard Hunter's Ward. Recording by Tori Falder.